Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and this is yet another snowy day in Pennsylvania, cold day in the country. I am here in my house surrounded by snow. I did not get the cue that we could leave to Cancun for the winter, like some senators. Um, so, um, but I'm happy to be here to talk with a, a new friend of mine, a new podcast guest from my original neck of the woods, Western Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up in the Pittsburgh suburbs and the Pittsburgh suburbs and cities and towns around it all have their unique culture. Um, and it seems like in politics these days, when people talk about Pennsylvania, they, they think about Pittsburgh while kind of forgetting about where most of the people are, which is where I am. Um, and so it creates um, interesting stereotypes, not necessarily all bad, not necessarily all good. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that with my guest, Michael Mua. Did I pronounce that right, Mike? It's uh, Mua, but yeah, you're close. Good for me. Yep. Um, yeah, you're good. And we're, he is a commissioner in Hermitage, PA, and he's going to talk yep. a little bit about um, his life in politics, what's going on out there, and hopefully you'll be encouraged, especially now in an odd year, to maybe get involved in local elections or maybe run yourself. So... Michael, thank you for uh, talking to me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Tony. I really appreciate it. So, um, I for people who don't know, I feel like here in eastern Pennsylvania, while there's a new township or a new place every few miles or blocks, um, people have their like spots all over. There's Norristown, there's Chester, etc. But in western PA, it's like there's a whole new universe every... 10 steps um you know it's just there's a lot of towns lots of cities lots of townships um what's tell me a little bit about hermitage sure um well the uh, and i, I kind of understand where you're coming from there um so the best way to describe uh hermitage is we are the largest community uh our largest municipality in mercer county it's one of the um uh, the, the border counties with the state of Ohio. Uh, Hermitage in and of itself is one of the largest cities in the area in the entire state. We have um, just a little over 30 square miles. Um, we're kind of spread out awfully far. Um, Hermitage, in, uh, in, in, in terms of a smaller region, is the largest community of what's known as the Shenango Valley, which is um, a, a a cluster of communities that surround um, the, the, the valley of the Shenango River, which was recently just voted as Pennsylvania's 20, I believe it was 2020 or 2021 River of the Year. Um, that's a, a fun little fact there. But um, the other towns surrounding Hermitage include the, um, the, the city of Sharon, mm -hmm. uh, the city of Farrell, uh, and then a couple uh, smaller uh, small boroughs, the borough of West Middlesex, the borough of Sharpsville, um, and, and uh, a couple, a, a few townships here and there, uh, including like South Pine and whatnot. Um, Hermitage is um, a very um, interesting place. We have a mix of, of suburban, rural, and urban uh, areas. Um, we're kind of all over the place in terms of area. Um, one of the, it's, it's an actually interesting fact that most people don't know about our city is that we used to be a township. Um, uh, we were known as Hickory Township, mm -hmm. and then um, at one given time, this was way before I was even born, I'm 37, 
been born. Um, the township was being annexed off to different um, to different cities, including the city of Sharon and the city of Farrell. But one thing that they didn't do was they didn't annex any areas of land that were um, that did not um, that did not produce any kind of uh, taxes or property taxes. And so as a result, Hermitage is actually a town that has a lot of enclaves in them, mm -hmm. um, including like cemeteries within the city of Sharon that are actually part of the Hermitage's prop uh, part of Hermitage's property. So we have, if you would ever take a look at the map of Hermitage, it is it's kind of strange. Um, it, it, it's very vast. We border the state of Ohio um, and surround um, a lot of these uh, other, a lot of the other communities. So there's a lot of uh, territory that, like for example, our police and our fire departments have to co uh, have to uh, cover. We are um, uh, another thing to also mention is we have more roads in northwestern Pennsylvania than any community except for the city of Erie and Mill Creek Township, which is right next door to Erie and a, a, a very large township that encompasses like Presque Isle and things along those lines. So. Um, uh, we, we, we have a lot of ground to cover for a lot of different social services and um, that just a lot of people uh, for our area. Um, more than one in ten live in Hermitage in all of Mercer County. Um, Mercer County has about, um, has a little over 100,000 people in it. Uh, entirely, I'd say close to 110 and about 16,000 live in the city of Hermitage. So. And so you are a commissioner there. Um, obviously, yeah. you didn't just wake up and decide, I'm going to run for commissioner. Um, have you always been involved in local things? Or, you know, a lot of people get involved because of some presidential campaign or national issue, and it becomes lit, like they get involved locally after that. When and how sure. did you first decide that politics was uh, calling for you? Sure. Um I can honestly tell you that I've been um, dedicated to uh, getting involved in public service, particularly in politics, since I was about five years old. Um, this is something that um, I feel like I was, it's, it's more of a calling to me. Um, I come from a family of salesmen. Uh, my grandpa was a, um, he, he sold steel buildings. Um, he fought in World War II, and um, he, was a, uh, he was born from immigrants uh, from Eastern Europe. And um, he settled in, well, they were, he was from Morgantown, West Virginia, home of West Virginia University. Mm -hmm. And then they moved, uh, he moved up, uh, after he married my grandmother, he moved up to Mercer, Pennsylvania, which is the county seat of Mercer County, and uh, had my dad and, and some other uh, his, his siblings. And um, my dad was a car salesman. Um, and so my, my grandpa and my dad really wanted me to focus on, um, on, on, essentially a career early in life and one of the things that um, one of the main uh, things that really drove me to politics was uh, my love for Abraham Lincoln. Um, Abraham Lincoln is uh, my childhood hero hero and idol and um, I, uh, I consider him not only the greatest president but the greatest American that's ever lived and so um, I really have kind of strived to, um, to, to, to be involved in public service. Um, my, uh, my, my bachelor's degree is from Slippery Rock University in political science. After Slippery Rock, um, I moved to Washington, D.C., 
where I interned for our then congressman in the third district in Northwestern PA, Bill English. Um, mm-hmm. He was a Republican. I was a Republican at that time. I switched parties in 2010. Um, uh, I got my master's degree at American University in American politics while I interned in Congress. Then after that, um, I came back home and then I moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where I got my law degree from the Cleveland Marshall College of Law at Cleveland State University. Um, I've been practicing law. Um, I moved after after Cleveland State. Um, I moved back home, took the bar exam in Pennsylvania, passed in the first try, and I've been practicing law for uh, it'll be nine years in, in April. Uh, how how I got involved in poli- like local politics. Uh, I actually, my first race, I ran in 2014. I ran for the Pennsylvania State Senate, District 50. Um, I was the Democratic nominee for that. Um, I ran against our current uh, state senator, Michelle Brooks. Uh, uh, senator Brooks defeated me in that election. And then um, I ran for Hermitage City Commissioner in 2017. Um, I was elected uh, in 2017 and reelected in 2019. And I'm up again uh, this year uh, for my uh, third go-round. I, uh, I grew up in Hermitage. I, I attended uh, Hickory High School, which is the local high school here in Hermitage. And um, I, I moved back home uh, and started practicing law as soon as I, I uh, passed the bar. Um, is what I, and that's what I did. So um, really, in the end, uh, getting involved in local politics was, was, was pretty simple. Um, like I said, I grew up here. Um, I know I knew the community inside and out. Um, still have a lot of close relationships with a lot of people here, and um, I wanted to help out the community as best as I could. And so I thought the best way that I that I thought that I could was by running for um, city commissioner. Uh, I'm one of five city commissioners. Um, we do not have a mayor. We have a city manager uh, manager commissioner system. So we have a city manager and assistant city manager, and then we have five commissioners. Four are Democrats, one is a Republican, uh, and uh, uh, every two years, a uh, there are three seats that are up. Um, that would either be uh, the top two vote getters uh, from the previous four years ago, and then the person who finished third. Uh, so how it how it generally works in in, in Hermitage is you have three, three seats are always up every two years. Uh, usually it's two people that had a four-year seat and then a person who had a two-year seat from the last cycle. So this year, um, I was the, I was the um, lowest vote getter, so I have a two-year seat. And then I'm running with um, another um, one of my fellow commissioners, and then there's an open seat because my other fellow commissioner, um, who is the only Republican on the board, he's running for county judge. So... It's um, it's interesting as you talk about your story how, um, my experience in Western PA has been that there were a lot of younger people who, uh, went to college whether it's locally or somewhere else, and then they they left. There's always for a long time there's a brain drain is a big thing they talked well, about, and it's really yeah. speaks to what you're saying about, um, growing up with kind of a feeling of public service, whether it is in elected government or not, to come back to your community. Um, I feel like a lot of places, it's been the same people in charge of things for so long, they didn't foster that 
growth of the younger people coming back or staying there? Is that something that is important to you? Like making sure that people don't leave the borders and then never come back? Like that they feel well, invested? That, that, that by far, in my opinion, is the number one challenge for not only Hermitage, but for every, I would say almost every single municipality in Western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the brain drain issue for the youth is by far the number one issue. Um, there are, um, it's a shame, but in my opinion, there's just too many people who are graduating high schools in Western Pennsylvania and then they move and then they don't come back other than their families. Um, and that's not their fault. Uh, it's more of a, it's, I, I think it's a, such a complex issue that you can't really put it on any one particular thing that is causing it. Um, I think a lot of it is the fact that um, wages are depressed in this area, um, in Western Pennsylvania, in towns like, like Hermitage. Um, Hermitage is a... Um, Hermitage is really like a different type of place, um, even for uh, Western Pennsylvania standards. We have a lot of professional jobs here. Um, we have a lot of doctors who live in Hermitage. We have a lot of lawyers that live in Hermitage. Um, so wages aren't necessarily a major issue um, in in the city of Hermitage. But you go to other towns like Sharon next door to us or Farrell, and they have really they have trouble providing, um, you know, proper social services or they have trouble meeting certain uh, goals that they want to set because they just don't have the revenue coming in. Um, For example, in places like Sharon and Farrell, one particular issue that is really, really um, an issue for them is blight. They have a lot of houses that need to be torn down, um, a lot that need to be just flat out destroyed. Um, they're abandoned houses. They are houses that are un- uninhabitable. We don't have that problem in Hermitage, but um, it, it's one of those things, though, that, you know, with the way that Hermitage is set up, you could be driving at one point in Hermitage, and then all of a sudden you enter into Feral, and you don't even know it because there's not a sign because the way Hermitage is set up, it's not, it's not, like, it's, it's not like a giant square and then another giant square. It's very... My community is very, very much tied into all the other communities that surround us. We are not, which is which is a little different from like how you described it with West, with Western Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. because you're right in a lot of cases with Western Western Pennsylvania. You know, townships have a completely different, um, uh, they have a completely different identity than the city that's right next door to them. Here, particularly, like in my area, um, that's really not the case. Everything kind of does just blur blur in together. So even though we have um, set municipalities um, with borders and things along those lines, we really do have kind of like a, a united um, community when it comes to we, you know, when um, we had a horrible um, car accident where some kids had passed away from my local high school last year, or was, I think it might have been two years ago. And everybody from all the multiple different communities came out and, came and supported um, supported uh, the family and the high school and things along those lines. 
So we really do have, which is one of the great things about the Shenango Valley is we really have like wonderful people that live here and we all um, kind of hold each other up when there are issues, um, when there's tragedies and we all celebrate together. And it's, it's really a, a, you know, a great, a great place to be. And I'm, I'm truly honored to represent, um, you know, the people in my hometown. I very much am. Um, one, one thing about um, where I come from, where I live, it is we have a different culture than a lot of Western Pennsylvania because we are extremely close to Youngstown, Ohio. Um, I'm about 10 minutes from Youngstown, Ohio, um, and we are the, really the only area in all of Western Pennsylvania that has the Youngstown media market. Um, we get maybe one Pittsburgh station, and we normally get that only on Sundays to watch the Steelers um, if there's like a Browns game and there's like an interruption. So we don't really get much Pittsburgh news. Um, almost all of our news comes from Youngstown TV stations and Youngstown media market. So uh, it, when, it, when, you, when it really comes down to it, it a lot of our, um, our a lot of our politics really, in a way, in a way, it's, it's kind of shaped by Ohio politics, um, mm-hmm. which is which is different. It's, it really is kind of like a like a we're really in, in, I brought up enclaves. We are kind of like an enclave. Um, culturally and politically um one uh thing that i always know with people is there's if you go on like uh occasionally you'll see like maps of like uh sports teams and what they do is they take like um they take like everyone like the majority sports team that people like on facebook and they'll like map out like counties as to like well, if you live in Montgomery County, you're more likely to be a Phillies fan. Or if you live in maybe Lehigh County, you're more likely to be either a Phillies fan or a Yankees fan or something like that. Um, in all of in all of Western Pennsylvania, you are usually a Pirates fan, except for Mercer County. You're more likely to be a Cleveland Indians fan. Um, if you are um, in Western Pennsylvania, you're more likely to be a Penn State fan or a Pitt fan, unless you're from Mercer County and you're an Ohio State fan. I'm done. I'm a West Virginia fan. But um, the point that I'm getting at is that in my area, we truly believe that we're closer to Columbus than we are to Harrisburg. We are in terms of distance, but we kind of feel that way when it comes to politics, too. People generally here don't get gas in Pennsylvania when they could go just across the border and get it for 20 to 30 cents cheaper a gallon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, it, it's, we really do kind of live in, a, in an interesting type of area. And, and, you know, a lot of shopping occurs either in the city of Hermitage or it occurs in Niles, Ohio, right across the border, where there are a lot more opportunities for people, but they have to pay sales tax on clothing. Um, and so it's, it really is kind of a, um, a, a diverse place and with different, you know, viewpoints and things along those lines. And I imagine a place like Hermitage has a, that unique benefit, like you said, where, yeah, you're not just 20 minutes from a city, you know, from downtown, any place, but you are not that far from multiple places, whether it's Erie oh, or Cleveland. Like, yeah. So that that's a... I mean, that's something that here in the Philly area, while I really like being in the in Philadelphia, uh, it's only an hour and a half to New York City, only 
you know, a couple hours to DC for train, etc. So um, people may not recognize that. Yeah, you may not be next to the biggest city in the world, but you have a lot that's not too far that oh, with a with a lower with a lower cost of living for a lot of those professionals. Absolutely, we're um, we're about an I'd say we're about an hour from downtown Erie, maybe a little bit longer, hour and five ten minutes. We're about an hour and five ten minutes from downtown Pittsburgh. Um, we're actually closer to the airport. We, you can usually get to the airport about the Pittsburgh airport in about forty five minutes. Um, we're close to Youngstown, like I said, about ten minutes, about forty five minutes from Akron, Ohio, and we're we're probably an hour, probably an hour and a half from Cleveland. Um, depending on how, where you go, you can actually probably get to the Cleveland uh, area a lot faster. Um, but like we're surrounded by, um, you know, a, a, a lot of opportunity, and there's a lot of uh, just easy ways to get around everywhere. Um, in in uh, Mercer County, we also have the uh, interchange of 79 and 80, uh, Interstate 79, which runs from I think Erie to like Tampa, mm-hmm. and then Interstate 80 obviously runs from New York City to San Francisco. So, um, in terms of like my work at being a criminal defense lawyer, we get a lot of outside um, uh, business because people get pulled over, you know, driving drunk on 80 or they have drugs or something along those lines. But there's a, uh, a lot of throughway traffic um, through Interstate 80, which is um, permitage is the last exit or the first exit in Pennsylvania on Interstate 80, depending on which direction you're going. Um, if you're going from the east, it's the last. If you're going from the west, it's the first. So, yep. And for te- there's a lot of those towns in northwest Pennsylvania, um, and and really in the in the middle of Pennsylvania too, where there is a lot of old pride. Not this. I don't mean in terms of age of the pe- residents, but yeah, you know, the people who have stayed, who have a lot of pride in the area for for various things, things you've mentioned. Um, and so I think that changes a lot of the politics, right? Like a lot of people who for may have for years been Democrats are now voting Republican and now a lot of, and people who, you know, kind of were wanting certain business things or certain kinds of things for their town may have switched to voting for Democrats. Now, do you, do you see that that kind of, that, that Um, local thing may be shifting some of people's political, um, attachments? Uh, I would say uh, yes and no. I would say in in the city of Hermitage, we have a majority Democrat. Uh, we're a majority Democrat town. Um, generally speaking, uh, Democrats win in, in, in Hermitage. I'd say either on a 55-45 or a 60-40 clip. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Donald Trump won heavily in both uh, against um, Secretary Clinton and Vice President Biden. Um, it was a lot closer with Biden than it was Clinton, but it, he still won pretty heavily here. But um, in terms of other Democrats, that's not the case. Um, from what I can remember, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Josh Shapiro did fairly well against uh, Heidelbaugh in the Attorney General race in, in, Mer- in Hermitage a lot, a lot better than how Biden did. Um, and so... I don't necessarily know if it's a, uh, if it, I, I can honestly say, you know, from my perspective, being a local official here, 
I don't think it's a, so much a Republican switch as it is more of like a, a Trumpian switch. Mm-hmm. Where they'll vote for Trump, but they're not necessarily voting down ticket. Um, you're you're right from a certain perspective. In, in, in Western Pennsylvania, there is a lot of ancestral Democrat switch to Republican, but that is generally, and from what I'm gathering, that's generally occurring outside of um, outside of Hermitage. Like it, like for example. Up until I, I think about three or four years ago, uh, Mercer County actually had more Democrats than Republicans. It switched, and now it's slightly higher. I think uh, there's roughly around seventy-four to seventy-five thousand registered voters in Mercer County, somewhere in that range. And I want to say that there that uh, Republicans might have like a fifteen hundred to two thousand voter advantage. Um, and obviously, that wasn't always the case, but. That, I think, has more to do with um, just general trends in western Pennsylvania. Because you see that everywhere. You see that in Erie County. You see that in Westmoreland County. Um, you know, Green County, Fayette County, uh, Butler County. Well, not so much Butler, but Beaver County. Um, you see those trends switching to Republican. But, again, <laughs> excuse me, I, I just don't know if that's sustainable. Because I don't necessarily know if people are going to be voting for Republicans through and through, or maybe they just voted for Trump and then that was it. It's also interesting to me hearing a lot of this talk about rural communities or small towns voting for Trump uh, and voting for Republicans late recently and, and suburban voters like where I am or city voters voting for Democrats. I know the things that Democrats are doing for cities and suburbs. Um, but they also have policies on rural and small town America. I I don't know that there's any policy that Republicans are really pushing that Democrats are missing out on that is legitimately beneficial to towns like that. It, like it, it, it's it yeah. seems like it's all culture and character versus any sort of policy. And I don't know, you know, is it do you have to just recruit the right kind of candidates to change the narrative? Do you what what do you do to kind of keep people um, focused on, you know, good policy. I, you know, I, I completely agree with you because I, you know, I, I obviously supported um, uh, now President Biden in the 2020 election. Um, but I, you know, taking, taking that hat off for a minute and looking at it from, a, from an objective point of view and being a former I mean, I, at one time I was a registered Republican. I grew up a Republican. Mm-hmm. My father, before he passed away last year, he was a Republican. And he, my dad never voted for me in a primary because he never switched his political party. He just voted for me in the general. Um, you know, my dad, in a way, was kind of the quintessential voter in Mercer County where he, he voted for John McCain in 08. He voted for Barack Obama in 2012 because he didn't like Mitt Romney, but he voted for Trump in 2016. And if my dad was alive um, for 2020, I think my dad—I actually—I I know my dad very—I knew my dad very well. My dad would have voted for Joe Biden, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I think that in, in you know, in, in like you know, taking it from from like my per, my perspective. Um, you know, just knowing the people around here and knowing, you know, what, what they believe in and, 
and whatnot. I think that, by and large, one of the major uh, issues that people have is they're just concerned about, and, and particularly in western Pennsylvania, you know, we're on that, is they're concerned about one word, and that is economy. In, you know, I wasn't alive, um, I wasn't born yet, but at that time, but in the 1950s and, and in the 1960s, this area was booming. It was huge. It was exploding. We had one of the biggest steel mills in the entire world here. Um, Sharon Steel was massive. Right. It was pumping out, um, you know, in the 40s, they were pumping out torpedoes for American warships in for World War II. Um, we were producing so much steel in this area. Um, the city of Farrell was named after the first president of U.S. Steel. Um, and then the 70s hit and the 80s, and the jobs went away. And these jobs were paying so much money, and people were living excellent lives. And then the jobs went away, and no one spoke for these people. I don't even think Democrats really did. Right. I think Joe Biden did. Mm -hmm. I think Joe Biden did. But I think that people here are so fed up with government, whether it's Republicans or Democrats. So when they heard when they heard Donald Trump speak and say the things that he said, people were like, hey, I want to try something different. And that's how my dad felt. Right. That's exactly how my dad felt. My dad voted for Trump because he was like, I, I don't like the way the government is from Democrats or Republicans. And I truly believe that the Republican Party in 2024 or 2022, they're going to have a really interesting time on their hands with people out here because I don't necessarily think the Ted Cruz's or the Tom Cotton's or whoever wants to be the next um, up-and-coming Josh Hawley, whoever, I, I think they're going to have a tough time winning over these types of people, uh, the people out here. Because I, they like Trump because Trump said something different, and but he also was something different. But people here don't generally like politicians. They don't. And, and I think that a lot of people don't understand from outside of places like Hermitage that that dislike of politics is not irrational. It's it totally, no, it makes sense when you, had, when you had that prosperity before and you feel like a lot of people um, probably were just taking your votes for granted. Um, maybe just the political power at the time wasn't enough for those lawmakers to bring stuff back there. I, I'm not saying who is at fault, but the fact is that things yeah. were better at some point and the nexus of power and um, whether it is for um, the economy, whether it's for political power or culture, or anything else is, is moving away from those towns. And you know, there's, I don't know anyone that's really doing a lot to advocate for them aside from people like you and local government. Yeah. And you know, I, this is a good, a good pivot point because you just, you brought that up and, and, Arguably, the, the most popular politician, actually, it's not arguably, he is. The most popular politician in my area is State Representative Mark Longjetty. Mm -hmm. um, he represents the 7th District in the PA General Assembly. Mark is a fantastic guy and a fantastic representative.
competitive for us. But the, the one thing that I will I will say about Mark, particularly now so now more than ever, is Mark represents to a lot of people the the local guy who grew up here and he made it to Harrisburg and he represents our interests. He doesn't come off as a politician. Mark is one of the one of, if not the hardest working people I've ever met in my entire life. The guy does not stop. He, he outside of COVID, obviously, because we're not having events, you would have, he would go to at least like five or six events a day when he's not in session at Harrisburg and he's back here in the district. The guy is everywhere. He goes to Eagle Scout, um, you know, uh, celebrations. He goes to potluck dinners. He goes to VFW reverse raffles. And even if he's not there the entire time, he hits the place and he makes people he makes people feel good because he cares about them. It's in a way a retail politics that's like a Bill Clinton esque. You know, like I feel your pain. That's the type of guy he is. He's a great guy. He's very personable, and he represents that um, that work hard ethic that permeates here for good reason. But I will tell you that Mark got a lot of flack for supporting a lot of Tom Wolf's policies on COVID. Mm -hmm. He voted for a couple bills and it made a lot of people angry out here. A lot. And that was kind of like the first, I don't want to say chink in his armor, but it really kind of was. It really was kind of like, like seeing Seeing a lot of people be angry at Mark, I had never seen anything like that. And that was the first time where I think people really saw him as, oh, he's just another politician. Now, I don't believe that, and I think the majority of people don't believe that, but I think that there's a growing sense of people are looking at even politicians like Mark Longetti, who is beloved and absolutely should be beloved, they're looking at him and saying, um, Essentially, you know, uh, he's just another one of them. And I think Mark has the ability to rise above it, but Mark's never had a competitor. He's never had a challenger from the Republican side ever since he first ran. He might have one this time. He might. And I still think he would win because he's incredibly popular, but that that's saying something when he might have his first, his first Republican challenger. Very well put. It's the the uh, we don't need to get into all the details, but the COVID stuff has been frustrating to me as it has to everyone. But you know, you are an elected leader. You you know what's going on with COVID. That it we have a half a million people who have died from it. Um, that we yeah. know of, and a many many more who have become sick. Um, it's a serious thing. It's like the the number one or number two deadliest thing in the country you know when a heart disease kills so many people every year it's and that's just in one year um thankfully things seem to be get improving i hope that they improve um but i find that people like mark like you said they're taking governing responsibly and sometimes there's hard votes but i feel like there's a lot of people on the right who they know better right like as as someone like you who works on the details you know that, like, on a policy level, those people know better, and I feel like that this time, they're the ones being cynical in feeding into the conspiracies and the anger 
just to to win the next vote because with in a dangerous yeah. way. I, I I completely I completely agree with you. I uh, I had a discussion with somebody once, and they it was it was a couple months ago, and they were talking about how Tom Wolf is a tyrant and all this type of stuff. And my response to them was, I don't think Tom Wolf woke up one day and was like, you know what, I want to destroy every single bar and every single restaurant in in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He didn't wake up one day and was like, I don't like bars and restaurants, so I'm gonna enact these crazy policies that destroy them and I don't I don't even care. Like that's just not reality. And so, you know, for for me it's personal because so my my wife, um my wife about a year or so into our in, into our marriage, my wife had a cancer scare and mm-hmm. we discovered through that cancer scare that she actually has um, a blood clot disorder that she has to take blood thinner for the rest of her life. And we all know through a lot of what has been going on with COVID that it impacts the blood in a lot of ways. Well, my wife is a school teacher. She teaches Head Start in Mercer County. And um, my wife was, um, they had school shut down for uh, most of, what was it, March through June of 2020. And then she was on, um, for a period of time, they were hybrid. And then uh, where they, they had some, uh, they had, uh, I'm sorry, they were they were exclusively online for like a month. Mm-hmm. And then they went to hybrid. Well, after the first week of school, my wife got very, very sick. Mm-hmm. Very sick. And very sick to the point where we had her test for COVID. She had a fever of 105. She was bedridden for about three days. We were, we were, our house was on lockdown for, I'd say, about, a week. Um, I didn't. I had to cancel some some court hearings because I could obviously leave the house. And it turned out she was negative, even though she was still very very sick. And you know, I've had two health scares with my wife, and where I thought that my wife was going to die. And I I was absolutely livid about. Uh, you know, about a lot of this stuff. I had lost my dad before COVID hit to lung cancer. So I, 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 I was there when he, I was at, at his bedside when he died. Um, and so it, it's very personal to me. And my wife still has not been vaccinated. Um, I have not been vaccinated, but I could care less about me because I'm just, I'm just a lawyer. I mean, I'm not, you know, my mom was, my mom's a pharmacy tech and a Rite Aid in Hermitage. She's been fully vaccinated with both shots, but my wife hasn't, and she hasn't even gotten her first shot yet. And it's so disheartening and insulting when I hear people complain about, all oh, the teachers' unions are just, they're being ridiculous, and they need to go back to work and screw them and all this stuff. But then my wife has to essentially take care of, and in a lot of cases, babysit kids. Um, for an extended period of time every day, and yet she's and she's putting her life on the line because my wife is high risk and she was born with a congenital blood defect that it's not her fault, and yet all these people are just complaining about how schools need to go back to they need to be fully open and kids need to go back to school, and I just I I it boggles the mind. 
I get what they're saying. They, I, we want to go back to reality. We want to go back to normal, to normalcy. But we're not going to go back to normalcy unless people understand the threat that's in front of them. Yeah. And when people are, are still saying, oh, it's a hoax, or they're saying it's not that big of a deal, it's just the flu, and yet the numbers for people dying in COVID are approaching 500,000. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, at some point, if we come to a point where I, I just don't, I don't have any words for these people. Like, yeah. I just don't know what to say to them that convince them that, that you know, I, I just don't know. Like, I don't know what to say to these people. Like, I, it, it's almost as if they're living a completely different reality, but their reality that they live still impacts my reality. Well, they're getting their reality from, you know, Facebook memes, from YouTube, from yeah. from Fox News and OAN. And it's it's something that's really hard to penetrate against. My my aunt is what? a teacher yeah. in Western PA um, in a more much more pro-Trump area than I am in. And they're, they've had a lot of issues with COVID at her school. And it, they're they're open and it's high school and a lot of kids. Like my kids' school, uh, elementary school is open, but elementary school kids, one, are not considered as high risk at spreading, and two, they listen. Yeah. So Andrew, my son, he keeps his mask on more than he needs to. High school kids are not necessarily as responsible as seven-year-olds. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, my aunt is worried about herself getting sick, getting her husband sick. It's it's really hard, and I think that we can blame, and not that you are, but like we can get frustrated at the voters, but it comes down to responsible leadership, like you said, from yourself or from Representative Longetti, um, sometimes doing hard things that are still the responsible thing to do, like not going yeah. to Cancun during a crisis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you, know, it, you're, you know, you're exactly right about responsible leadership, and, it's, and it really is unfortunate because, you know, I'm sitting, I'm sitting last week watching the, a lot of the impeachment debates, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, dumbfounded by some of the arguments that even the Democrats were making because I, I look at it a little bit differently. Maybe I look at it more from like a nihilistic perspective, but I also look at it from, in my opinion, I think it's also reality is you're never going to convince a third, maybe even more than a third of those Republican senators to vote for your cause because their voters don't even believe that Democrats are Americans. Mm -hmm. And they think that we're pinko commies. They think that we're baby killers. They think all these things that are completely wrong of us. But they're fed all this information from, you know, white supremacy groups or Facebook memes or OAN, Newsmax, Fox News. And it's a vicious cycle. But you're never going to get these, these senators to vote against their interests because their interest requires them to treat Democrat um, uh, leadership and you know, and and all these people and treat them all like they're the devil or they're Hugo Chavez incarnate, and it's really tiresome and I hate it because there are excellent Democrats out there. There are phenomenal Democrats and there are phenomenal Republicans too. I, you know, I I one of my closest friends on the board of commissioners is a Republican, and he's and he voted for Trump, and he's a great guy. He's running for judge in, in Mercer County, 
and I fully endorse him. He's a great guy, and there are great Republicans, and there are great Democrats. And just because that you have an R or a D next to your name does not mean that you're somehow anti-American or somehow you're, you know, you're, you know, the devil or you you don't shouldn't have an opinion at all. And it really is it really is a shame because people like on our side, you know. I know plenty of people who may not be QAnon people. They may not completely agree with everything from QAnon, but they're QAnon adjacent, meaning yeah. that they've shared a post on Facebook that I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, are you, do you really feel that way? And, and it's ludicrous stuff, but they're being fed this information and there's nothing to combat it. Or if there is something to combat it, they reject it outright because who is sharing it? Yeah, and so that requires responsible leadership, um, and obviously you care about responsible leadership and hermitage. Um, I do have to um, you know, move on to the next thing in life right now, though, but so if people are interested in learning more about you and hermitage and maybe getting a better sense of the good and the challenging in these small towns um, of Pennsylvania, where can how can they follow you on social media? Sure. So my Twitter handle is at Michael T. Muha. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L, T as in Thomas, M as in Mary, U as in Umbrella, H as in House, A as in Apple. Um, you can also reach me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Just Michael. Just type in Michael T. Muha, and you'll find me there. You can like my page. And then I'm also um, on, on Facebook for uh, my um, uh, my political uh my political page which is just uh, michael t muha um it would be muha for hermitage commissioner so you can find me there and like me and uh check me out yep well i appreciate it and i really do encourage everyone to follow michael um he's got some good insights and we we can't just focus on the biggest races in the country for president or senate or the biggest parts of any state like philadelphia or pittsburgh the people that live in Hermitage or is about any person in Hermitage is as valuable as a person in New York city or, or Tallahassee. Um, so please follow Michael and I, I really appreciate, um, all you're doing for your town. Thanks a lot. Much appreciated. Same to you.